And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome. It's Financial Fitness Friday. I'm Rich Rosso, CFP, here with Danny Ratliff, CFP. We're so glad you're here. Listen, we all know what the market's doing, right? But the obviously hot story is inflation, right, Danny? So the Atlanta Fed sticky price consumer index, and this is a waste. This is uh, the Atlanta Fed. I've talked about this before. Do a great job tracking inflation, especially a weighted basket of items that change relatively slowly. So that increased 7.5% on an annualized basis in January, and that's following 4.3% in December. So on a year-over-year basis, that's 4.2%. Danny, this is what we use when we want to update uh, you know, our inflation expectations in okay. our financial plans. So Correct. In, uh, so around third quarter, second or third quarter of 2020, went ahead and we increased the, sort of the baseline, right? Correct. So I don't know. We might have to do it again in January, depending upon where inflation goes. We'll see how it goes by the end of the year. But here's the thing. So you come home one day, and your house is on fire. And all the fire trucks are out there, and they're just staring at it. They're just staring at it. And you go, "Uh, guys, uh, you all going to put that out? We're going to wait. That's why we got to ask the Fed. Where's the beef? The point is, what are you waiting for, Fed? Where is the beef? What what you waiting for? Why are you sitting and watching the house burn? Why are you talking about it and doing nothing about it? Why are you still doing emergency procedures? Why hasn't there been one rate hike? What's the magic of you waiting and watching the house burn. Do you have any ideas on that? Well, I, I think the Fed's always a day late and a dollar short, and this is a problem with, with what they're looking at. They're looking at economic data that's already been done. It's passed. Uh-huh. And, it, look, I don't envy the position that they're in. You know, we've always discussed we can, it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback, but at the end of the day, these guys have a very difficult job. Now, well, Danny, we remember we're coming from this lower level of inflation. It was supposed to be transitory. And we're looking at this, and I understand why they were taking their time, right? Because maybe it was. But how how do you do? But, but how do now, you how do you have converging monetary and fiscal policy as well? When you have fiscal policy, <laughs> still giving stimulus, unemployment, child tax credit, and then at the same token, then you're you're raising rates. Now maybe that oh, maybe that's been the right thing to do. Inflationary, remember? All that money sent out—that's not inflationary. Well, that's inflationary, even if they continue to give that money every year. But now the problem is, is that they've backed all that money out. They're not, nobody's receiving that. And you do have this inflation. But maybe Where's they're also the looking, but maybe they're also <laughs> looking at, okay, 2021, the economy wasn't fully recovered. We're coming back out of this, you know, shutdown from COVID. And so are these numbers as great as what you would suspect? Look, this is our, this, we've discussed, this has been artificially stimulated. You have an economy that was completely shut down. You have a, um, you know, supply chain issues because of it. Right. People out of work. 
all this stimulus. I mean, wh- what but, would the expectation be? I mean, Fed had had an opportunity in the in the mid, you know, like 2015 to start raising oh, interest absolutely. rates. absolutely. But, but they but screwed I mean, it up. But I even sort of understood it then because we were still in this disinflation environment. Now the house is burning. I mean, we've got enough data to show that there's flames coming out of the windows and they're sitting there going, well, maybe next month we'll think about putting it out. Let's just watch it for a while. I, this part of it, I don't get. Yeah. Right? I just so, don't understand it. So um, what do you think about acting, you know, doing a much more aggressive hike initially? So there's been there's been talk out there saying, hey, what if right. you don't even do like half a percent? What if you did a full one percent? Rip the Band-Aid off. It hurts for a minute. But instead of dragging it out, doing very slowly. I don't know. I mean, but I think some sort of front loading. I think James Bullard talked about that is not a bad idea. You know, unless they're starting to look at the first quarter data. Right. We looked at the Atlanta Fed GDP now. First quarter GDP is not rolling down a hill. It's falling down or falling off a cliff, right? Yeah. So maybe they're saying, you know, we're going to see if this all sort of takes care of itself. And what about inventories? Inventories where everybody stocked up in Q4. Mm-hmm. Historically, that's not, that's not the case because they're trying to get everything off the books for inventory right. tax. So now we're seeing was everything front-loaded in that aspect, and now you don't see as big of a, a, a push here in Q2, Q3, like you'd historically see. There's a, lot of con- there's a lot of factors right now, a lot of moving parts. But the point is, everything in your face and you do nothing. Or you wait till March, you talk it down, right? You do all this stuff to talk up rates. So you've but done a good yeah, job of. But I think you do that when maybe you have bad electrical wiring in the house and you're thinking maybe, okay, I can get away with it. Not when the place is burning down. When the sticky price index is showing higher elevated prices for an extended period of time, you can at least remove the emergency procedures, can't you? Why haven't you even done that? I understand it's been reduced, but why are they still here? What's the emergency that you're referring to when you look at unemployment, jolts, and all the other numbers out there? Why are you still doing what you're doing? They're saying one thing and doing another. Exactly. Exactly. So is the economy really strong? And I understand the disconnect when inflation's around 2 to 3%. I don't understand it when it's consistently higher. I, I don't think any other Fed would have acted this way. I it it just it just it confounds me. It just really shows me that maybe it is all about the market for them. And they're become a much more political animal than ever before. Well we've we, been talking we know about that. Re, right? you know, getting the whole Fed to be more about climate change and, and the politics and not really actually taking care of monetary policy. Well that's that's another factor. I mean, think about this. We're in an election year, midterm elections coming up. What do you think? I mean, we saw President Trump knock on his door. Now do we see President Biden say, hey, mm-hmm. and, and which sword do you fall on? Do you fall on the inflation sword or the financial stability sword? Which one is it? Yeah. And, and we know that markets are grossly overvalued, but they could continue to go if, if they reverse course, which they could very easily. We've seen them do that in 2018. Um, well, who's look, to say they're not going to do that again? No, and I agree. Per the president, though, he doesn't really care about the stock market. He cares more about people because people don't invest in the market. So... I don't know. So then he should be worried about inflation. So, so we're just going to sit higher. there and uh, we'll watch. Um, we'll just watch the house burn. Now, we're going to have a right lane class coming up Saturday, February 26th. So I'm sure the inflation question is going to come up. 
and in some ways, how is this going to affect your whole retirement strategy? But we're going to talk about exiting life in the fast lane. You know, you're going into retirement. You need to know the dangers and the risks to retirement. That's going to be at the Embassy Suites here, right at off of I-10, Kirkwood, Century located. It'll be really great. I take the beltway. Yeah. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Go and sign up. This is a two-hour class, 9 to 11 a.m. Hey, we get back. We want to talk about unretirement. What if you have to go back to work? What are those steps? Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid in our next free retirement right lane class. Saturday, February 26th at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. You know, when you hear the stories from uh, BlackRock and Larry Fink about how it's all about the environment. So two years ago, he writes a letter to the CEO's we got to vote against corporate managers if they don't follow ESG, environmental, social, and governance disclosures. Because I really care about you. Well, Texas decided to take a turn and call them out on it. So this is one of my this is one of my happy stories for today. This is out of Reuters, but at the risk of being dropped. From Texas pension funds, BlackRock has ramped up this message that we love you, oil and gas industry. We want to see these companies succeed and prosper. You know, it's like bullies, Danny, right? When you finally punch them in the mouth. Right. Oh, wait. Or at least just confront them, right? So yep. Texas pension system says, you know what, Mr. Mr. Fink and your BlackRock, we're going to take you out of the pension system. We don't need you. Oh, no, no. We, we love you guys. We will continue to invest. And so here's the, here's the uh, comment, by the way. We will continue to invest in and support fossil fuel companies, including Texas fossil fuel companies, states the memo signed by Dahlia Blass, BlackRock's head of external affairs, and copied to Mark McComb, BlackRock's chief client officer so when lance talks about esg saying it's all about the money i never thought danny that maybe somebody should confront that well and, and the luckily, texas pension system did and they folded 
and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick did so. I mean, you know, luckily somebody stood up to them. It, you, you want to talk about BlackRock. So if you don't know, BlackRock is the largest money manager in the world. Mm-hmm. So they can be the bully on the block. And they've been able to do so. And, and they've also been also one of the largest contributors to this push for these ESG funds. And, and you know, if you listen to the show at, at all, you know we're not the biggest fan of them, simply because many of them, when you look under the hood, are so similar to the actual indexes. But yet they charge you double the amount just to invest in these areas, or, or so-called. And it's a great marketing ploy. But it is great. Somebody called them out on it. And they're having to backtrack a little bit. Now, I, yeah, I did notice though, over the last couple of months, uh-huh. he's Larry Fink was already backtracking on the the whole energy aspect of things, uh-huh. and not because of this, but it's nice to see somebody stand well, up and they Charlie say, Munger, okay. this is a Wall Street Journal opinion page. Well, Wall Street, he says, you know, we have a new bunch of emperors, and they're the people who vote shares in index funds. He goes, I think the world of Larry Fink, but I'm not sure I want him to be my emperor. Many CEOs, no doubt agree privately that, you know, maybe Larry Fink has pushed it a little too hard. And if you're going what to, what are index funds supposed to do, right? They have a certain mandate. We're going to invest in companies that make a profit, whatever, not ESG. And you shouldn't have to push this stuff on corporate governance, right? You shouldn't have to push this so hard that now, even what we talked about with the Department of Labor and 401k, Right. The default option would be an ESG default. You have no say in where your money goes in the 401k when you're going to be paying more fees for an index fund. Yeah. What happens if fees are important? Lower costs. Transparency. Yeah, transparency. Boy, I'm telling you. <laughs> that Reuters story just made my day, so I had to, I wanted to make sure I shared that with you um, overall. So the one thing we've learned during the pandemic is a lot of people left the labor force, right? That's, that's something we've seen um, overall and um, lots of reasons for it. But you have many people over 65 so or 65 and older that said, hey, you know, I, my assets are up in, in price. My house has gone up, right? Um, I can leave. I don't need to deal with this. And we've seen that dip showcased in the labor force participation rate growth since 2000. So if you look at, you know, look at a chart, and I'm working on a blog post right th- about this right now, you see what's happened to 65 plus. The great resignation is just not the millennials, right? Older workers left. But maybe with the turbulence we're seeing today, people are going to be looking to unretire. So the reversal of retirement. What is unretirement? It's the reversal of retirement due to extenuating circumstances because as humans, we go through change. And also, sometimes life gets in the way. So if you're looking to unretire, there are some things that you need to keep in mind. So um, the St. Louis Fed wrote a great piece, uh, some research titled The Great Retirement. Who are the retirees? When the Institute for Economic Equity dug into this um, continued exit from the labor force of age workers age 65 and older. So 65 to 74, the largest cohort to retire during the pandemic. So the reasons cited for the exodus were uh, avoidance of mental health distress, the challenges the pandemic created, and the notable wealth gains, right? 
portfolios were doing well, real estate was doing well, you know, that trigger went off. Hey, time to retire. But remember when we always talk about that transition, that slow move, right, that slow roll to retirement when you just don't do it cold turkey. Hey, listen, businesses need all the workers. If you look at the jolt, right, uh, workers are in demand. So I think the unretirement for 65 plus, Danny, is going to happen. Not for all, but for some. And I think the market this year, especially if you're in distribution mode, is going to encourage some people to go, hmm, if my portfolio is even down 3 4%, which is not bad in the scope of the moves we've had, do I really feel comfortable taking another 4% out or 3% out? Do I feel comfortable with me where I can bolster that? What do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think that people are starting to revisit this and rethink it in general. And, you know, I've had multiple clients here recently mm-hmm. retire, and, and they've done just this. They're unretiring. And, and sometimes it's just, you know, I thought this was going to be a little different. Um, I'm bored. I want to do something differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, go back. I, I didn't realize how much purpose it gave me. Um, sometimes it, it is just about, hey, I don't want to distribute in this environment. I don't feel very good. Who knows what's on the horizon? And so I think it's a smart move for a, a couple of different reasons. But I also think the people that were able to do it were given a gift because they were actually able to go through this. And now they know when they go back to, to actually physically retire again, okay, what right. did I not like about it the first time? What can I do differently? So we've had these conversations like, okay, well, well, let's talk about the qualitative aspects of these things and things that were taken for granted a lot of times. I'm not saying in these cases they were, but I think that now you had that practice run. You know, we talk about it all the time, how, you know, you're supposed to become, you're an accumulator your whole life. And then one day you flip a switch, bam, now you're supposed to be a distributor. No big deal. What's a, that's a pretty it's a large psychological impact. Yeah, and you sort of jumped that hurdle. You didn't even do it. Because, and, and I understand why people did it, right? If you had the assets, you've got a pandemic, you know, you're reprioritizing things, and you go, what do I need to deal with this for? It's time for me to go. Yeah. You know, companies are closing up anyway for a while, so maybe that's my test run, right? My company's uh, telling everybody to stay home. You know, that's not why I went to work. Maybe this is the time. But as things try to get back to normal, there's a little bit of regret. Now, again, I think the market volatility, especially if I'm going to start taking money out of my portfolio, that might encourage me to want to go back to work. Um, So there, there was a movie in the 70s called Cold Turkey, and it was about a whole town that had to try to stop smoking. It was funny as heck. Dick Van Dyke was in it, and it was a really goofy movie, right? But it was about this whole town in the West that had to try to stop smoking all at once, right? Yeah, it was a dumb movie, but it's like one of those B movies. But going cold turkey and just going into retirement without the normal process of maybe winding down, um, you know, created some sort of a mental toll. Not only that, but you're staying home anyway. You know, you're sort of isolated. You're losing the social aspect. So now as things get back to normal, we're seeing that move of people coming uh, back into the labor force. And frankly, it's great that that would happen. Um, so you got to keep in mind, um, if you've done comprehensive planning with us at RIA, even with the markets as volatile as they are, our plans are okay because we prepare 
for lackluster or adverse market conditions. I mean, that's the first thing that we we put as a priority in plans, right? Because mm-hmm. our expectations for risk asset returns over the next cycle, 10 to 15 years, is going to be much lower. Um, but psychologically, emotionally, returning to work could be an incredible boost to even a new retiree's well-being. So a part-time job, think about it. If you just wanted to say, I don't want to take 4% of my portfolio, but I can go back to work and maybe have to, t- maybe I only have to take a 1%. Maybe I can wait and see. Long-term skills, keeps you social, bolter- bolsters your household cash flow. These are all positives. Um, uh, at people who transition slowly, and Danny just brought this up, they go part-time, full-time, part-time. They're most likely to experience fewer diseases and function better day-to-day compared to those who stop working altogether. That is a result of a study, Danny, from the Journal of Occupational Health Psychology. Bridge employment is, is definitely healthier than leaving the workforce cold turkey, which is what occurred during the pandemic. So environment turning to normal, volatility in my assets, could be getting people out of the house and older workers back to work. And we love our older workers. They're great, right? Yeah. Man, they work. We get back, we can continue on these steps of unretirement. What else do you need to consider, especially when it comes to Social Security? We'll be right back. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com your retirement is another year closer will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one ria advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid in our next free retirement right lane class saturday february 26th at the embassy suites houston richard rosso and danny ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare, and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. I got. I love these Brent, the Brent morning funnies. They're not dad jokes. They're like dad jokes with like knives, like sharp knives. Picked up a hitchhiker. Seemed like a nice guy. After a few miles, he asked me if I wasn't afraid that he might be a serial killer. I told him that the odds of two serial killers being in the same car were extremely unlikely. Now that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, that is pretty good. You could write a screenplay about that. I think there was a movie like that called The Hitchhiker. <laughs> yes. I think that's already been done, Brent. If anything, they've all been done. 
All we do is make remakes. Mm-hmm. How many remakes of Planet of the Apes do I need to see? With CG now. Yeah. I mean, why'd you mess with the first Planet of the Apes? We needed a thousand more of them? And don't they, you think apes would do a better job of running this planet? If the apes need to take over, this is the time. All hail my ape overlords. <laughs> because we're not doing so good. So if you want to put me in cage and throw me some gruel, I'm good. And I need a smaller loincloth because I'm losing weight. So Is that but, because of lack of food? Or yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying, man. Maybe. Sedentary lifestyle, which, which one is it's it? It's funny. You watch Planet of the Apes now and you go, I wish that would happen. Versus, oh gosh, that hope, that's terrifying. <laughs> Are we sure it hasn't already happened? Somebody's monkeying around with it up there. Yeah, hey, as we get as, as people are getting back more and more to normalcy, I'm thinking, is this really normal? Yeah, well, and why do people really like ahead. this? Wait a second. We throw that word normalcy around a lot. What yeah. exactly does that mean? Because nothing's ever really normal, is it? Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Nothing is normal. All right. So, talking about Social Security. Now you're 62. You left work, you took Social Security. Now, there could be time to reverse that decision and make unretirement even more worthwhile. Why do I need to take my Social Security? Especially if you're married to a lower wage earning spouse who would depend on your survivor benefits. So keep in mind, if you claim at age 62, spousal retirement benefits, which are usually one half, of a working spouse's primary insurance amount. And if you know, don't know what that is, when you pull your Social Security statement, and everybody should check their Social Security statement every year, SSA.gov, it, I'm telling you, it's real easy. They've redesigned them. Uh, they're easier to read. They have a great education booklets attached to it. I mean, they've done a... It's odd to say the government has done a really good job, but they've done a really good job with this. That PIA amount is the amount you're going to get in your pocket every month. That amount's going to be reduced by 25%. So a spouse that earns less could be negatively impacted since benefits would be reduced accordingly. So if I just decide, if it's been less than a year, I want to go back to work, I want to unretire, I can pay it back. Yep, all of it. 12 months or less. That's a viable option, Danny. Go and what ahead are the implications on that? So you can pay it back, mm-hmm. and then your, your benefits, you don't have that reduction, that discount any longer. So it goes back to what it normally would have been at your PIA, your primary insurance amount, at full retirement age. And then you can continue to delay mm-hmm. and, and get that bump. So get either your normal amount at full retirement age, or if you continue to defer after that, you continue to receive that 8% bump, and it, which is pretty darn good right now. Oh, listen. If you can have, if you can pay it back, you got to remember, if you postpone benefits from age 62 to 70, that results in a 70% increase in monthly lifetime benefits. If your full retirement age is, say, 67, you wait until 70, at that time, your benefit's increasing by 8% a year, right? Mm-hmm. 24%. Um, obviously if it's, if you're younger than that, but just using 67 as an example, it's even better. So I had to help someone recently, Danny, with this unretirement, but it was too late to pay back social security, but we were able 
to secure a part-time job below the Social Security earnings test threshold. So keep in mind, if you are under full retirement age and you take Social Security and you have a job, benefits can be withheld. Not many people know that. Not many financial advisors know that because when we go to the right link class, we meet with a lot of people at the end that go, you know, I'm 62 years old and my broker said I should take Social Security. Uh, and I said, okay, I'm still working. Wait a minute. <laughs> Your benefits are going to be delayed, right? Correct. So that's so for, one, for this year, $1 of Social Security benefits is withheld for every $2 earned above $19,560. Now, the benefits aren't lost. They're just postponed, and they're going to be added to your monthly benefit at full retirement age. And the definition of earnings is salaries and wages, which is from, from a tax. So if I say I'm at full retirement age, and the taxation of benefits is different than the earnings test. Correct. Right, because then my distributions from IRAs will count to my total pie for provisional income. So this taking it at 62 because I wasn't working and I have a chance to pay it back, man, I think that's a great idea. If you can't, well, then maybe you find a part-time job that keeps you below the threshold. And listen, hey, you know what? If you want to go back to work, there are so many benefits to work, even if you, may, if you got a job that's above that. So let's, let's use this as an example. Jim is, is 63 years old. Can't pay it back. He finds a position that pays him $35,000 a year. So Social Security subtracts that $19,560 and then divides by two. So the amount withheld is going to be $7,720. So again, I darn it, I didn't get my $7,720. Okay, but it will be just postponed. So because if you want to go back to work, I wouldn't use the Social Security decision solely as my, you know, if I can get a job out there and I'm going to make fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, or more, mm-hmm. and maybe even add more into my social security, then if I'm over the threshold, I'm over the threshold. But you got to be aware of it. You got to be aware of it. Well, the, the the big kicker here is that this is going to be a lifetime of of basically taking a discount on what your social security benefits would be. Right. So if you can defer and delay, I would absolutely do that because. When we start putting these numbers in a lump sum, I know what you look at on the statement. It says, "Well, you're going to get three thousand versus, uh, you know, thirty six hundred. You think, well, six hundred bucks, okay, not as big of a deal. But that's seventy two hundred dollars a year. Now we yeah. start adding that up over a lifetime, and then you start thinking about your spouse Joint and the impact life. that that has. Yep, it can be extremely significant. Now yep. we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, and so I. You said, well, you wouldn't make this your sole decision, and no, of course you wouldn't. You know, Social Security needs to be a big part of it though, because this is the one the one program that you cannot outlive. You're going to continue to get these funds. And so doing so and not leaving any money on the table is is going to be the right thing to do. So I do believe that you everybody needs to do some type of analysis and understand where your break-even point is. Do a, you know, we talk about these life expectancy quizzes. A lot of people say, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, we want to know and have a better idea as far as what that looks like because then at the end of the day, we can put ourselves in a much better position to make these educated decisions that are going to impact you for your lifetime. And so I would encourage everyone to take the big picture approach, bring it down, and then and then say, okay, how does this impact me? What are the chances or the odds that I'm going to still be here or my spouse will still be here? 
and how much more money can we get out of it? Because I can promise you taking it early is typically, now there's times when you have to have it. There's illness, you're out of work, you oh, need yeah, these funds, right? And, and that's that's what it's there well, for. Well, maybe, maybe when people retired because of the pandemic, some of them got scared enough to say, I don't have enough money to retire. Yep. So I had to take it at 62. So if you did, and now it's too late to pay it back, you still want to find the best job out there, even though you're going to have benefits postponed. But yeah, if you could actually make the decision or if you would have talked to somebody before you decided to retire, and we would have said, don't do it. Don't take Social Security yet. Do anything else. Transition to part-time. Do whatever. But in the turmoil of the pandemic, you don't know. You don't know this, what's... This gentleman yeah. I talked to is very knowledgeable financially. He just thought that, you know... I, I got to take it at 62. I need more cash coming in and didn't think he was going to go back to work. And now that things are normalizing and he's been sitting in the house and he's not as social and engaged, he's like, I got to go back to work. He finds a job that's going to pay him $75,000 a year. And I said, okay, so let's Great. do the math. Let's do the math. You're going to postpone X amount of dollars to full retirement age. He goes, ah, darn. I said, there's nothing you can do about it. But do not do not not take the job because you're above the threshold, right? Because the job is more important to you and the cash flow coming in and not taking distributions from your IRA is more important. Okay, you get a cut in your Social Security, but you'll get it back. It's just yep. postponed. So, you know, people are regretting the decision to take it at 62 if they can't pay it back. And Well, think about the other benefits that, that he will receive, right? So if he's under right, 60, exactly. he's under 65, he's going to get health care benefits. So now that's a, that is one of the biggest exactly. expenses we see for somebody under 65 that's retired that doesn't have health care or retiree health care. That is extremely expensive. So there's so many other bonuses for, for him going back. Big picture, right? Correct. When we get back, we're going to talk about one other step in unretirement. And it is about the big picture. Danny cheating and looking at my stuff. We'll be right back. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid in our next free retirement right lane class, Saturday, February 26th at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And we're back. Hey, so um, this is the right lane class we're going to do, we're going to go over how to make the most of Social Security and Medicare in retirement.
because to Danny's point, if I did retire at 62 and I didn't get any form of benefit from my employer as far as health care, like a retirement health care benefit, um, man, I am getting a catastrophic policy for the most part. And I'm probably paying close to two grand a month for it. Um, so that retirement decision or that bridge or the expenses you're going to pay for health care before you hit Medicare uh, is a big expense. So I have a feeling that a lot of people who decided 65 plus who decided to retire during the pandemic, Danny, hmm, what do you think they were missing most of all? Well, I mean, monetarily or well, you know, mentally? Well, no, more of what we would have done, which is did you do a comprehensive financial plan to lay out the steps as opposed to just pulling the trigger to retire? Yeah. Like what are the things you need to consider? So if you're going to unretire, <clears throat> If you haven't done a comprehensive plan, you should because maybe some of the mistakes that you made, you can be rectified or we'll show you how working longer in a low investment return or volatile investment return environment can be incredibly beneficial to the long-term viability of your plan. You know, as a retiree, volatility is not your friend. Volatility is your enemy. If I'm young and I have volatility and I'm putting money in when prices are low and or I go through a period of a headwind in returns, I'm going to be frustrated, but it's not going to affect my life. Well, especially if you're in a just set it and forget it, buy and hold, you don't ever make any adjustments to a portfolio, then I think it's extremely detrimental. But even in retirement, you can use these things to your advantage with these volatility swings if you do have some, some discipline. Well, physically, what I'm saying is now... If you're in an investment portfolio, you're going you're go you're to have volatility. The point is you've got to soften it up, and mm -hmm. you've got to look at, well, what's my distribution rate? When people tell you you could take a fixed rate of withdrawal out of variable assets, say, hey, listen, let me show you how oil and water mix together. Right? If you're down this year 5%, even though you were up nicely last year, say you were up, your portfolio was up, 8% last year, and you're going to be down 4% this year. You are still you're still did okay. The point is, what's my withdrawal rate going to look like? And even if I'm okay, what does that do to me psychologically, Danny? If my portfolio was 300000 now it's two sixty. right? I'm mm -hmm. looking at that. Then I'm saying, oh, wait, I'm going to take 4% off the top of that. But most people are taking off that high watermark, that 300 versus that 260. And so that is where the problem lies, is that it's not this variable distribution. And, and people are very intuitive. By nature, mm -hmm. what we find is that a lot of people say, hey, you know what? We're going we're gonna to buckle down for a bit. We're not going to spend as much right now. We're not going to increase Let our distributions, right? In other words, I just can't go like an... Uh, Robotron into this and say mm -hmm. every year I'm just going to keep taking 4%. No. And a lot of studies today, even though I wrote it in my book in 2012 that the 4% rule was not going to work, now all of a sudden we've got all these studies that show that maybe 4%, 2.3%, maybe it's 3%, maybe it. 
you have to look at every year. We look at it every three-year rolling periods. How much are you taking out versus where the portfolio is? Because you just can't take this fixed rate and, and go blindly into the night. It's not mm -hmm. going to work. It works nicely when you get years where you're just making 10, 15, 20%, then yeah. But you get a year like this, say the year finishes even flat. Okay, that's our mark here at RIA to go, okay, we're not going to check it this year. It's flat. People's withdrawal rates are probably going to be the same, Danny. What if I go into year two and now I'm down? And then I go into year three and I'm down. Now I want to look at, do I need to make some form of adjustment? Working longer can fill in. Or going back to work, unretiring, and taking even a small job that reduces my distribution portfolio, besides all the things you talked about, the qualitative aspects and, and benefits from it, could be very important. But if I don't have a comprehensive plan that gives me the direction and show me the impact of working longer or going back to work part-time. So I've seen people where their plans fail and they go work back part-time for three years, Danny, making a half of what they made before and their plan works just because they have reduced their distribution rate or they postponed to take, waited to, they mm -hmm. were able to wait to take Social Security. They didn't have to buy insurance before Medicare. All of those things on and, top of that, and, they may have a 401k that they're getting matched on. They have the ability to contribute to an HSA. They have all these extra things right. that we take for granted that they really do have that significant impact. You know, you brought up an interesting topic in the sense of, you know, okay, what if you did this and didn't necessarily have a plan? Because unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, people were just let go. Things happen. Oh, hey, we're going to put you on an abbreviated work schedule. Or I think we'll I have you. enough. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But and one topic that I hear often is like, oh, I don't need a financial plan yet. I'm not near, you know, near where I am, where I need to be. And the kicker with the financial plan is, is that the earlier you start, the better, because it's going to give you the tools and the resources and the knowledge. It's going to empower you to say, hey, OK, what if I do some things that maybe are against some of the mainstream media? What if I do go and contribute to the HSA and not use it on an on an annualized basis? What if I roll that every year? What if I go out and, you know, I, I look at the Roth instead of the. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the traditional 401k, the pre-tax, what everybody's been taught. We'll and, talk about that at Right Lane a lot. Well, and that's right. You know, I had I had somebody email yesterday said, look, I'm very concerned about all the money I have in a traditional IRA. And they've done a fantastic job of saving. But unfortunately, we're going to get to a point, especially when RMDs come, that you're not going to have as nearly as much flexibility. So mm -hmm. we said, you know, this is somebody who has a lot of charitable intent. So we're going to have some options here. We're going to do Roth conversions prior to 72. We're going to do... Um, you know, looking at donor advised funds or contributing directly your RMD up to that hundred thousand dollar limit to those charities. You know, there's so some bring options, that up, Danny, because someone asked me this question the other day, like, gosh, because they didn't do all the Roth conversions mm -hmm. and all that. They have all their money in pre-tax, and that's how they live. And they said, you know, what can I do to save money on taxes? I'm like, well, the qualified charitable distribution, depending Correct. on you know, because she goes, I don't need all this RMD. To live on okay so bring that up bring that yeah, up yeah so, so that's, I think a that's a great tool topic. you know unfortunately a lot of times it just goes unnoticed and so you know i think that really having that plan puts things into perspective because one we start talking about what are you know not just your basic non-discretionary expenses what do you need to keep that roof over your head what do you want to do with gifts for kids for charity oh wait you do have some charitable intent well how much how much goes to the church or how much goes to uh you know xyz 
um, the Humane Society, whatever it may be. And there are ways that you can do this. And actually, instead of taking a distribution, paying taxes, and then making that contribution, you could pay it directly from the, the IRA. You should be doing that. If you have an IRA mm-hmm. and that's all you have and you have a charitable intent, I don't care if it's 500 bucks and you're taking RMD, you take that qualified charitable distribution first from your IRA. You don't take it from an after-tax account. That's a no-brainer, right? So you do that first and then your RMD because if you take your RMD first, it doesn't work, generally well, speaking. You, got, you want to take that lined up. I had a, someone that has to take out something like $80,000, right? I said, so here's what we're going to do. He goes, but I have this charitable intent. I, I want to do 40000 in qualified distributions from my IRA, and he has up to 100000 I said, okay, first we're going to do, we're going to have the custodian cut two checks because you have to do this very specifically. You can't do it. From your IRA, 20000 20000 mm-hmm. I will have no tax on that money, but it'll count toward my RMD. Then I'll take the other 40000 that I want to live on. And that's a way to reduce taxes. But again, you've got to have a charitable intent. Some people don't. That's, that's fine. Nobody's judging you. But if you do, this is a great tool. So, so that goes back to the plan, though. You, now you actually have a partner who can bring some of these things up and say, hey, have you thought about doing things a little bit differently you here? Can, you could put into the plan like a track strategy. Correct. Like, okay, Rich, what if, Danny, what if I did $20,000 a year from my RMD? Mm-hmm. What's my tax savings over time? So when you brought it up about the lump sum, once you show people a lump sum positive in their favor, even if they wanted to take Social Security, but you show them how if you wait or you have longevity because that's what Social Security is. It's, it's, it's longevity insurance. When you start showing people lump sums, like when I did this for this charitable, I said, let me run the numbers for you. You're going to do, do 40000 a year maybe? He goes, yeah. It was going to save him like $125,000 in taxes over the next wow. 15 years. And he goes, wow. When you show the lump sum of tax savings or how much more income I'm going to get, it, it does change people's – they step back and look at it. Well, your perspective has changed. And so that's the, the idea is that we want to keep as much money in your pocket as possible. So, right. you know, it's like Lance gives us a hard time saying, oh, man, these topics are so boring. <laughs> And, and you know what? In some ways, he's really he's right because we What's don't have the all the Lance, moving parts. What's the matter, Lance? You don't parts. like lump sums? You don't want to see a big lump sum, Lance? You shut your baby. Oh my goodness! <sighs> hey, th- thanks for joining us. Go to go to realinvestmentadvice.com. Go check out the events tab. Um, we're going to be doing lots of things coming up. So we have our retirement right lane next week, this next Saturday, not tomorrow, but the following on the 26th. Sign we're up. We're going to have a what, lunch and learn on the, the FAFSA, what the to 10th. do, the right way to fill it out. Don't leave money on the table. You don't think you're going to do the FAFSA. Your kid's not going to qualify for scholarships. You got to do it. And let me tell you, Chris we have Leo's an in-house gonna... guru on the FAFSA plans. Oh, yeah. And so you're going to want to tune in if you have any kids going to college in I that age. I find that boring. But you're to your point, it's not boring if it's going to save you money. We'll see you next week, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Have a great holiday weekend. Talk to you soon.